119, starting at verse 49. Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this, you promise, your, your promise preserves my life. The arrogant mock me without restraint, but I do not turn from your law. I remember your ancient laws, O Lord, and I find comfort in, there, in them. Indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law. Your decrees are the theme of my song wherever I lodge. In the night I remember your name, O Lord, and I will keep your law. This has been my practice. I obey your precepts. You are my portion, O Lord. I have promised to obey your word. I have sought your face with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. I have considered my ways, and I have turned my steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. At midnight I rise to give you thanks for your, law, for your righteous laws. I'm a friend of, uh, to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. The earth is filled with your love, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. Do good to your servant according to your word, O Lord. Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I believe your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. You are good, and you do, and, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are callous and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. It is good for me to be afflicted, so that I might learn your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. The second reading tonight comes from 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, and can be found on uh, page 842 of your pew Bibles. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarrelling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace 
along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servants must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Nice to see you tonight. My name is Paul. It's good to see Linda and Ian back again. We've missed you. Uh, Psalm 119, uh, verse 68 is one of my favorite verses. It says, uh, you are good, and what you do is good. Uh, teach me your decrees. I'd love to preach on that verse tonight. I'm not going to preach on that verse. I'm going to preach on 2 Timothy. But uh, it's a beautiful verse. It just reminds us that uh, our God is a good God, and everything he does is good. And we need to learn to live under his decrees because we know that he is good. We're looking at 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is a letter written to a pastor who is leading a church in uh, Ephesus. Uh, The problem in Ephesus is that there's lots of other churches springing up that are leading people away from Jesus and teaching a wrong gospel. And Timothy's being discouraged because he's watching people walk away from his church and walking away from the faith. And Paul is writing to Timothy to encourage him just to stick with the gospel, just to keep teaching the Bible. Tonight's a hard serve me to preach. It's hard because we're looking at this topic, gospel leaders. We're looking at the topic of who you should long to be your pastors and your preachers and your leaders in your church. And that's why it's hard for me to teach it. So if I was to resign, I'm not going to resign, but if I were to resign, uh, who would you want to be your pastor, your leader, your preacher, your teacher here at Church by the Bridge? See, I hope that you wouldn't come up with a, a list that the world would come up with. You know, a high flyer, academic achiever, entrepreneur, a cutthroat businessman, uh, the people who can uh, lead so everyone can follow. Some of those are good qualities, but that's how the world thinks. What about people who you want to lead you in your connect groups? Who do you want to to teach you and to pastor you in your connect groups. Let's take it right down to our kids' church. Who do you want to be teaching our kids, the next generation of Christians? Just those who are willing, just those who like kids? What kind of of qualities do you want to see in all your leaders and your pastors and your preachers at church? Let's make it a bit more personal. I'm hoping and I'm assuming that you guys uh, read Christian books I'm assuming that uh, some of you here will podcast sermons during the week. Who do you listen to? Who do you choose to press the download button and to feed your your brain and to feed your mind with? Just the most entertaining preachers? Those who are good at exegeting our, our culture? Those who say the nice things to you? Because this is my concern about our generation. I reckon we put, we put talent above truth. In our churches, we, we put talent above truth. And so we look for the entertainment 
rather than the careful exegesis. And we look for the charismatic personality rather than the, the careful work on the Word of God. And I hope to, tonight's sermon will, will help you to be much, 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 much more discerning. Discerning about who you listen to. The danger of the internet, is, there's lots of great things about the internet. But one danger of podcasting is that you can't actually see the lives of the people who you're listening to. You don't know how they live. You can't see the flock that they're passing. You don't know whether the, 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 their church are exhibiting great godliness or whether they're leading a church full of ungodly people. You can't see that. You just hear the words that they speak. So I, do, I hope that tonight's sermon makes you more discerning. I hope tonight's sermon makes you more prayerful. More prayerful for anybody in leadership in, the, in this church and outside of this church. And more prayerful for you, for yourself, uh, that you would exhibit some of these qualities we're about to look at tonight. Paul begins in verse 14 with a, a reminder. Uh, keep reminding them of these things. The them is the church in Ephesus. That these things are all the things he said in chapter 1 and chapter 2 so far. Keep reminding people of the gospel. It's the gospel of grace, a gospel about Jesus, a gospel about being saved not because of things we've done, but because of God's uh, grace and God's mercy. Keep reminding them of 2 verse 1, to be strong in the grace that you find in Jesus. But in, this, in these few verses, uh, Paul basically uh, has a, a double-sided coin. On one side of the coin, you've got wrong teaching. On the other side, the right teaching. On one side of the coin, you've got false teachers. On the other side, you've got what he calls the, the workman or the Lord's servant. Look at those two points today. The first one is a warning. I'm going to start with a negative tonight. It's a warning against the false teachers. I do want to spend some time looking at who these people are, what they teach, and what the outcome is. Because I reckon that when we hear the word false teacher, we kind of think cartoon character. You know, they're the baddies and they're the goodies. We think pantomime villain, you know. Walk on the stage, you can spot them, and you boo because, hey, it's obvious that they're bad. But that's not the case. In Ephesus, these people were difficult to spot. That's why they're dangerous. So who are they? Verse 17. Uh, their teaching will spread like gangrene. And among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. Uh, we don't know much about Hymenaeus and Philetus. Paul obviously knew them. What do you say about them? Verse 18, they've wandered away from the truth. Just think about that phrase, they've wandered away from the truth. What does that teach you about them? If they've wandered away from the truth, it means that they once believed the truth. And they once taught the truth. And they once lived the truth. They were once on the team. They were once evangelicals. They were once Bible-believing gospel preachers. But over time, they've wandered They've drifted. They've shifted. Actually, Paul says they're no longer believers. Flip back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy 1, verse 18. He says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight. Timothy, come on, fight the fight, run the race, hold on to the faith, 
and a good conscience. Here it is, verse 19. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. And among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. See, that's the scary thing is that Hymenaeus, Philetus, they once believed, but they've wandered and they've actually wandered away from Christ. But no doubt in Ephesus, in the church, they're still popular and people still listen to them and they still attract a crowd because they use Christian language, don't they? Verse 18, they've wandered away from the truth, but they say the resurrection has already taken place. They're using Bible words like resurrection and Christian words like resurrection, but they're just misusing them. That's the thing about false teachers. You can spot the, the non-Christian. They don't talk about God. But the, the people who have wandered from the truth, who masquerade as Christians and preach in their churches, they use Bible language, but they don't teach the truth because they've wandered from it. I remember at Bible College, someone saying to me, one of my lecturers, just because somebody was once a high-profile Bible teacher, please don't assume they're still a high-profile, Bible-believing, accurate Bible teacher. You judge somebody on their last sermon. You judge someone by what they're teaching today and how they're living today, not what they once taught 10 years ago. So what do these people teach? Verse 14, I'll warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value and it only ruins those who listen. There's something about these people who quarrel about words, or literally they split hairs over words. They play word games with the Bible. Uh, and they, they make the word of God say things that it never meant to say. Uh, people do that over a whole number of things. You can read Bible commentaries, and people are twisting words of the scriptures to make it more contemporary and more politically correct. I can't say that word. And so these guys in Ephesus, according to verse 18... Uh, they say the resurrection has already taken place. I don't think that can mean that they are teaching that heresy that Jesus Christ has already returned. That happened back 20, 30 years before this letter was written. So what can they be teaching? If they're saying the resurrection has already taken place, what kind of thing can they be teaching? I reckon it would go something like this. Hymenaeus would say to me, Paul, you've died with Christ. Paul, you've been raised with Christ. Paul, you're reigning with Christ. Now, that's what the Bible teaches. Uh, Paul, you can enjoy all the benefits of, benefits of Resurrection Day now because you're now raised with Christ and you're now seated with Christ and you're now reigning with Christ. You can enjoy it all now. And so they say things like, Paul, you, you can experience no sickness now and no suffering now and complete satisfaction now. You can enjoy all that Resurrection Day stuff now because you're in Christ. And, and the problem with these guys is that it sounds good and it sounds Christian. But Paul says no. Avoid godless chatter. What's at stake? Well, verse 14, it ruins those who listen. It destroys them. Uh, verse 16, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Uh, that's always a good test of whether teaching is accurate and truthful or whether it's just shifting slightly. Uh, look at the lives of those who sit under their teaching. 
Are the people becoming more and more godly? Are the people who sit in their teaching becoming more like Christ? Are they growing in humility? Are, are they growing in patience? Are they growing in kindness and love for each other? Are they growing in compassion? Are they becoming more like their Savior? Or are they becoming more and more like the world? so dangerous because verse 17 tells us that their teaching will spread like, like gangrene. I did a PhD in wound healing, mathematical models of wound healing. I've seen many gangrenous wounds. They're pretty disgusting. If something is gangrenous, you have to just chop it off. It's dead. The thing about gangrene that's so dangerous is that by the time you've spotted it, it's actually too late. By, di- by the time you've spotted that gangrene has set in, it is too late because the tissue is already dead. And, and that's the scary thing about this kind of false teaching. It spreads like gangrene. It spreads rapidly. It brings death. The gospel is supposed to bring you life and immortality. But so often by the time you've spotted it, it is too late. And Paul says that in verse 18. They say the res- resurrection has taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Now that is sad, isn't it? That the solid foundations that talked about grace and talked about hope and talked about Jesus, it's been eroded over time. And solid faith that, that faith that once understood about mercy and forgiveness and the hope of heaven in Christ, it's been eaten away over time because people have just sat under this teaching week in, week out. And it, their faith is destroyed. It's a bit like a drug addict, you know. As you talk to people who are addicted to drugs, they're so caught up in that world, they just don't see how it's taken over their whole life. And there are many, many churches where people are just caught up in this stuff and they can't see how their faith is actually being destroyed. Please be discerning. Say about who you listen to discerning about what I teach in this church. If you think I'm teaching things that are not true, you have a responsibility to come and challenge me. Be discerning about who you listen to and please pray. Because the second side of this coin is this, that Paul wants Timothy to be what he calls the Lord's servant. That word comes up in verse 24. The Lord's servant mustn't quarrel. It comes again really in verse 21. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy and useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. He's saying the Lord's servant is just a, a, a phrase which shows you that the person who is leading you, who is preaching you, who is teaching, they actually belong to Jesus much more than they belong to anybody else. Jesus is my master. I belong to him. He owns me. He's bought me at a price of his own blood. And I want to serve him. Not just serve the church, but actually serve him first and foremost. Not serve myself, but serve him as my Lord and my Savior. I want to be, verse 21, I want to be set apart and useful to Jesus and prepared to do any good work. So what kind of person is the Lord's servant going to be? I'm going to take verses 22 and 26, 20 to 26 and just do a kind of character study. 
I'm indebted to a guy called Chris Green who read a book on this. Uh, the first one is maturity. You want people who are mature. So verse 22, flee the evil desires of youth. Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So what are those evil desires of youth? Remember, Timothy is not a teenager. He's a man in his 40s. So what is it about youthfulness that Timothy is supposed to flee? Please don't think sex, evil desires of youth equals sex equals lust. That's not what he's talking about. What is it about the youthful pastor, the youthful leader that is dangerous? I reckon it's arrogance. They're impetuous. The youthful person, they want to win the argument rather than win the person. They speak first, they think later, they lack that that careful, considered wisdom that comes with maturity, comes with age. Perhaps it's that self-centered, blinkered, overbearing personality. He says, flee those evil things and do what? What's the, the flip side of the coin? Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Literally, pursue Christ. Put on Christ, get rid of the world, and put on more and more and more of Jesus. You want people who are growing in maturity in Jesus. But how does the verse end? Verse 22. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Because the second quality, if you want, is people who actually enjoy fellowship with other Christians, along with those who call on Jesus out of a pure heart. See, the danger for Timothy in Ephesus is that he could start to feel like he was the only right Christian. You ever met those pastors or those churches that think, we are the only doctrinally sound church in this area, and everybody else is wrong, and we are right. And I can't associate with him, and I've got no connection with that church because they're dodgy. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you're not alone, you know. There are lots of other people out there who have the same faith as you. And sure, you might not dot every I with them and cross every T with them, but they're on your side. Don't separate yourself from them. Enjoy that maturity together. But to do that, you need to be, thirdly, you need discernment. Verse 23 is actually quite a hard verse. Uh, Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. The word stupid there literally means uninstructed. Don't, don't have uninstructed, ignorant arguments. And that's where the discernment comes in. Because when somebody says something that is wrong, you need to be discerning. Am I going to pick up on that? Am I going to debate that? Am I going to discuss that? Or do I just let it go? Because it's just not worth it. Leading churches, leading Bible studies, just one-on-one conversations, people say just really stupid things. But sometimes you just go, it is not worth picking up on that. I'll let that go. It's really going to lead to a stupid argument and discussion. But sometimes you go, no, no, no. Truth is at stake. I must correct that. But you need to be discerning. And the, second, the next quality is this. It's a beautiful word. A kindness. Verse 24 again. The Lord's servant mustn't quarrel, mustn't fight. Instead, he must be kind to everyone. The word kind is 
It's hard to describe, isn't it? It's that loving, compassionate, gentle, patient, uh, other person-centeredness that's just warm and loves the person rather than loving the argument. I think he's saying here, Timothy, look, don't be known as a, as a bruiser and a fighter. Ever met those pastors or those leaders or those preachers that you feel like you've just been bashed over the head every time you talk to them? And they're trying to, to bash you into shape with right theology. But the attitude with which they do it is not kind, it's not warm, it's not loving, it's not gentle. But he must be able to teach, he must be clear. Verse 24, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone and able to teach. And that's the way that you change people over the, over the long haul. It's not by proving people wrong. It's just by teaching the Bible faithfully, week in, week out, and allowing the Word of God to change people. What struck me in preparing this sermon was where, the, where he puts that phrase, able to teach. Look where he puts it. He must be kind to everyone able to teach, and not resentful. It's fascinating. He puts this ability to teach amongst two relational things. Kind to everyone, and and not resentful, and in the middle, able to teach. And I think he's saying something like this. You can have a, a pastor, a leader, a preacher, a teacher, who has the most amazing ability of teaching. But if that person who preaches and teaches you is not kind and hold grudges, doesn't matter what they say, you're not going to hear it. Because oh, you'll hear the words, but actually you won't believe the words because the person himself is not kind and is holding grudges. And so no matter how able they are, the words just don't go in because you don't believe what they're saying. Which leads us to my next quality, forgiveness. I'll put it in a positive. Verse 24 puts it in a negative He must be kind to everyone, able to teach, and not resentful, not holding grudges, not withholding forgiveness. This is a hard one, isn't it? Every conversation you have with somebody has a history. And often people say to you or do things to you that cause you real pain and real hurt. And part of being a Christian, not just a leader, part of being a Christian is learning to forgive and to forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And so when you're talking to that person or preaching to that person or passing that person, you don't bring up past hurts. How dare you bring up a past hurt or a past event that they've asked for forgiveness for? How dare you resent them for something in the past? The Lord's servant doesn't hold on to the grudges but sees them through the lens of Christ as forgiven people. That's a beautiful quality, forgiveness. The next quality I've called humility. It comes from verse 25. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. So when the opposition comes, you instruct people, but not arrogantly and not, con- not condescendingly, but gently. And I've called it humility because the way that you do that is just by recognizing I'm just the Lord's servant. People might oppose me, 
But ultimately, it's not about me. It's not about my pride, not about my ego. It's about Jesus. And so you humbly sit down with them and you point them to the Scriptures. But that doesn't mean that Timothy is trampled on. He needs to be courageous. There's an important word in verse 24. He must gently instruct. You can't avoid correcting people. You can't avoid saying the hard things. And for that, you need courage. But also, you need hope. And that's what he goes on to say, doesn't it? He must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, lead them to a knowledge of the truth. Because the Lord's servant, the... The pastor, the preacher, the teacher, the leader. And we teach the word of God. Why? Because we believe that God will take his word and change people. There's many people who you're sort of looking at them going, I just, nothing, there's nothing going in. And time and time and time again, you say the same message, you have the same conversation, and nothing changes. So why do you keep preaching? Why do you keep teaching? Why do you still meet, keep meeting with them? Because you pray and you believe that God will change people. You can't change people. I can't change people, but God can. And so you pray. But the Lord's servant is also very, very realistic. That's the spiritual battle taking place. We believe that God will grant them, to, grant them repentance. Verse 26, they will come to a, their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Because behind all these things it is someone called Satan or the devil who longs to see people walk away from Christ. When a church is full of wrong teaching and when hordes of people are being led astray, you've got to recognize there's a spiritual battle taking place. Our battle's not against flesh and blood, it's against the evil forces, against Satan. And I just wonder how many of us realize that. How many of us recognize that when people wander from the truth, it's almost like Satan is having a party. But we've got the weapons, we've got the Bible, we've got prayer, we've got the armor, let's put it on. So that's who you're looking for. Someone who's mature, who's kind, who's courageous, who's discerning, who's humble, who can teach, who enjoys fellowship with other people, who doesn't hold grudges, who recognizes the spiritual battle. But it's really summed up in this beautiful phrase in verse 15. Someone who's a workman in the word. Verse 15. You, Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. And a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. When you're surrounded by teachers who are teaching people what their itching ears want to hear, what's Timothy going to do? He's going to work hard at the word. He's going to labor in the word to make sure he is teaching the truth. You ever thought of a preacher as being a laborer? We saw in that video, the making bricks. It's hard work. You sweat and you toil. Oh, but pastoring and preaching, you know, that's just an intellectual exercise, isn't it? It's a bit soft. You sit in your study and you just write a sermon each week. It's labouring. It's actually toiling, working so hard that you're making sure that you're teaching God's word faithfully and clearly. It's hard work. There's a preacher in the UK and someone said of him, uh, he makes the message so clear It's so straightforward, I often wonder why he spends so many hours doing it. It just seems so obvious. That's the mark of someone who's done the hard work in the Scriptures. You know, I could go online next Saturday. I could download a sermon. 
and just stand here and just preach someone else's sermon next week. I know pastors who do that. That's not feeding the flock. Uh, it's somebody who labors in the word, uh, who, according to verse 15, doesn't need to be ashamed because we're confident that we're handling God's truth correctly. And how are we doing that? Well, I think verse 15 is really important because you do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Did you spot that? Timothy does his best to present himself to God as one approved because ultimately he's accountable to God. And ultimately, Timothy each week preaches knowing that he's going to stand before God and give an account. If, if you want the applause from people, if you want the pat on the back from people, if you want people to say, oh, what a wonderful sermon, what a wonderful pastor, you're in the wrong job. Ultimately, you want to go home on a Sunday night and sit down with your God and say, Lord, did I handle the Bible correctly tonight? And were people fed? You want leaders and preachers and pastors and teachers who ultimately are accountable to God alone and want to please him alone as their master, not people pleasers, not crowd pleasers. Is that what you want in your, in your pastors and your teachers and your leaders and your kids' church leaders? Let's look at this again. Humility, maturity, kindness, courage, optimism, discernment, realism, clarity, fellowship, forgiveness. But somebody who just labors in the word and handles it correctly. Now that's why this sermon is really hard to preach. Because I'm aware of my faults, I'm aware of my failings. But I do pray that you be very, very prayerful for all those who do lead you and preach you and teach you. The encouraging thing for me is verse 19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation does stand firm, still with this inscription, the Lord knows who are his. That's an encouraging thing, isn't it? That God knows who are his. God will bring his, his elect home. As we see people walk away and drift, it's okay. Because God is ultimately the one who saves souls. Not me and not you. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. I'm just the Lord's servant who believes in Jesus and is daily seeking to be godly. So let me ask you. Have you put talent above truth? Are you discerning as to who you listen to? What's going to change as you walk out of this church tonight? Do you pray that you would test everything against the scriptures? Test this sermon. You know? Please write to me, email me, phone me. Do, not, not just to tomorrow, but every week. If you think that what I'm teaching is not the truth, please correct me. And pray. Just pray that God would raise up Faithful teachers, faithful leaders who are able to teach, but more than that, who actually exhibit all these Christ-like qualities. I'm going to give you a moment now just to pray and to pray by yourself. And then I'll invite Rob and Viv to lead us in prayer.